Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, August 4th, 2020, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our special guest this evening is Lisa Erickson, who is an energy worker specializing in women's energetics and sexual trauma healing and author of Chakra Empowerment for Women from Llewellyn Publishing. She helps women maximize and balance their energy during key life transits, such as pregnancy, postpartum, perimenopause, and menopause, including balancing the mother-child energy line. She also works with women to heal emotional wounds on an energy level from abuse and assault. She is certified in mindfulness meditation instruction and trauma sensitivity and has trained in a variety of healing modalities. She's a member of the International Association of Meditation Instructors, the American Holistic Health Association, the Energy Medicine Practitioners Association, and the Breathe Network, a nonprofit dedicated to supporting holistic healing and healers for sexual trauma survivors. Lisa is passionate about helping any woman connect with their energy bodies. You can learn more on both of her websites, which are enlightenedenergetics.com and chakraempowermentforwomen.com At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds not heard in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy, Jada, and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for Lisa. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here, and you'll get our weekly show notices if you enable to um, enable those. So our main website is starseedhotline.com, and the Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And please be aware that due to a massive global starseed activation, our waiting lists are now at about six months. But that will start shrinking now because our new team of astrologers have completed their starseed training and will be helping us and our starseed community. And it's interesting that this awakening started over a year before our, our current global crisis. So you are all bringing more light, so much needed to this world. So um, if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing, and that only takes a few days. But if you do want the Stage 2 interpretation, please order it at least six months ahead of your birthday so that you can um, get it in before your 10 hours happens. So first up tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. Good evening, Ariel. Thank you for this applause. 
And I hello, everybody. I do, too, dear. It's great to be with you tonight. Sunny evening, August already. My goodness, the months just whip by, don't they? Lots of oh, news. Yes. Yeah, there's some cute stories tonight I'm anxious to share with you. We're going to start off talking about the far away country of Croatia. And man, is this creative and inventive. Croatia has a new solar roof project that will create at least 8,000 jobs and support what they're calling a green COVID-19 recovery. So Croatia is awarding a solar roof project uh, funding for that to help rebuild the economy, to create jobs, and support renewable energy. Now, many experts believe that green recovery programs will be very important in getting back to life after the pandemic, and Croatia is ahead of the curve with the new solarization project. Now, this small European country is currently working on this project that will provide solar power to households, will create green jobs, lessen Croatia's environmental footprint, and help the country recover financially and emotionally from the pandemic. Now, the project was formerly titled 1,000 Solar Roofs, Cities and Jobs Regeneration. I don't know what they're calling it now, but it is one of 11 pandemic response projects chosen as part of the European Institute of Innovation and Technology's Crisis Response Initiative. Now, this is happening all over the planet, and this Crisis Response Initiative is providing about $71 million in funding for 11 recovery projects. And out of that $71 million, the uh, budget for this solar roof project is around a couple hundred thousand U.S. dollars. Now, according to Forbes, uh, Forbes magazine, the project will start by bringing 100, excuse me, 1,000 solar photovoltaic systems to homes across 10 cities. Workers began construction last month, and it's expected to take about six months to complete. But as it grows, it's expected to provide between three to 8,000 jobs per year to Croatians. Now, these kinds of responses are occurring all over the planet. Um, people thinking in new ways about how to solve old problems. It's really encouraging. But before we get on to a little bit more of that, I want to talk to you about cats and dogs. I think probably more people have dogs and cats, but I'm not sure. But if you've had a cat and you've given it catnip, wow, what entertainment you get. So the question <laughs> I pose to you tonight and the answer I'm going to give you is, start with the question, why does catnip make cats high? Do the cats really get a rush buzz from catnip? Do they get high? The answer is, according to experts, yes. It's not anybody's imagination. They don't just think it's, you know, tasty. They they get really high. And it calls to mind that hilarious scene from Shrek 2 um, where Puss in Boots, who is obviously a cat that's voiced by Antonio Banderas, is stopped by the police and they find catnip on him and they take him (laughs) into custody. (laughs) <laughs> Arrest Puss in Boots for catnip. Well, it's it's a really humorous scene. It probably only the adults in the movie understood it, but it is based on truth. Catnip is kind of a cat drug. And while catnip and the possession of catnip isn't illegal, it is, for all intents and purposes, a psychoactic drug for cats. Now, why do cats get high off of catnip? Well, there's a chemical in it called nepetalactone, nepetalactone, 
which catnip produces in this little itsy-bitsy bulbs in its roots, little teeny tiny bulbs. And according to Scientific American, these bulbs on the plant coat the leaves, the stems, and the seed pods of catnip. And when they touch, when they're touched, these bulbs will rupture and release the chemical. And then that causes cat euphoria. Well, <laughs> cats inhale this essential oil, nepetalactone, I didn't say that right, which then binds to the receptors inside the cat's nose. And these receptors work in tandem with the sensory neurons in a cat's brain. And this alters activity in the brain that's involved in regulating the animal's emotions. Now, uh, <laughs> with the... Uh, brain affected by these chemicals, um, it makes them act intoxicated. Now, this doesn't work on kittens, but wait till you hear what it does, does to dogs. Now, I didn't know this, and Ariel, I know that you love dogs. Did you know that catnip affects dogs? I did it's not. It's safe for dogs, but it has the opposite effect on dogs that it does on cats. Now, for cats, uh, catnip is a stimulant, um, but then for dogs, it's more of a sedative. And because of its ability to calm down dogs, catnip is most often used with dogs who have anxiety, who get anxious before a car journey, or who struggle with loud sounds like maybe thunderstorms or fireworks. And according to one website, now don't go do this without checking on it, but this is what one website said, that catnip can be safely used on dogs by adding catnip leaves to their water. And if you prefer to use dry catnip, you can add anywhere from, it says, an eighth to a half a teaspoon per pound of dog food. Now, they say that catnip in dogs has some other uses, too. It can be used as a diuretic. It can be used to help doggies' tubby troubles, such as gas and stomach aches and cramps and other intestinal issues. So if you're considering giving your dog catnip after listening to me, please consult your vet first. But they say that while animals cannot generally overdose on catnip, just give them a bellyache if they get too much, um, they said to be sure to speak with your vet first to ensure you're giving the proper dosage of catnip. But I didn't know anything about that, and I also didn't know that it doesn't work on kittens. It's geared towards their uh, mature hormonal levels. It only happens in mature animals. So there it is. And um, let's go back to where we're going as a society um, after this is caught us in its grip. And um, this is an article from the Internet that asks us, what will society look like if everyone starts taking care of each other? Looking ahead, what might a society look like where people start taking care of each other? And, you know, the pandemic has brought ideas such as universal basic income into the mainstream. It's not now just fringe. And we wonder, well, how would that work? Well, guess what? There are countries already starting that up and working with it. The New Zealand government has won international acclaim for its handling of the COVID-19 crisis uh, because it they acted so swiftly and they took enough measures uh, that helped keep their death toll to just 22 and coincidentally, New Zealand is also one of a handful of what they are now calling well-being economy governments. Now, this is a group of countries that share expertise on how to put the health and well-being of people and the natural world alongside economic growth as the aim of their policy making. Wow. Now, other members of the partnership include Scotland, Wales, and Iceland. 
and this is growing. Uh, politicians are beginning to discuss and already making mental health a priority. They're beginning to push access to parks as an important issue. Now, this is radically different to the status quo that we're all used to, but this is in response to the unprecedented call for answers in this crisis. People want new solutions. So now, according to the chairman of this Wellbeing Economy Alliance, there is a global network promoting a change in economic systems. They say that the virus has created a major opportunity now for leaders to shift focus away from our current obsession with economic growth and turn our focus onto the well-being of human beings and the environment. And the New Zealand government, like I said, won awards for this. Now, um, more countries are set to join this alliance. Uh, the UK, and in the UK, they took a poll that found that back in May, that 60% of the respondents to this poll want the government to begin to prioritize human health and the well-being of citizens instead of economic growth in the new world that we're facing. They want that to be a part of the new normal. Now, we might ask, how would we do that? And one idea uh, that's moving from the fringes to the mainstream, again, is this universal basic income, whereby payments, base payments are made to every citizen in the country. Now, in May, researchers at the University of Helsinki published a long-awaited report that examined the results of a basic income trial in Finland. Finland did this. And running throughout 2017 and 2018, the study tracked people who received a basic income of 495 pounds a month. And the results were that the well-being of people who got that basic income was markedly better than those who did not. And the test group, those that got the money, had fewer health problems, lower stress levels, and they had a better concentration capacity. Uh, those that had this extra time because they had extra money took the opportunity to spend more time caring for their families or volunteering in society. That's just part of what might happen if we had a government and governments across the world focusing on well-being, what it might look like. And there's some other examples um, there is a bill currently in Parliament, in the English Parliament, that would force businesses and public bodies to protect the interests of young people and the citizens of tomorrow. In other words, legislation to take into account how today's actions affect the future. Oh, my goodness. How revolutionary wow. is that? Yeah. And then the New Zealand government... Uh, is improving or trying to improve the nation's mental health uh, because they're making that now a key spending priority in its first well-being budget just released. They have uh, released about $2 billion allocated for mental health, including funding to tackle homelessness in New Zealand. Wow. <clears throat> this is the world we've been waiting for. Okay, how about this? Governments are working now to make sure that people have easy access to nature and green spaces as a common feature of well-being's first policies. And in the Netherlands, authorities are committed to improving ecosystems in their cities, and they saw a 24% rise in green space per household as a result. Now, in a city, a 24% uh, rise in green space is like, oh, my God, that's so liberating and wonderful. Now, we get rid of some concrete and put in some nature. 
So, <laughs> I mean, these That's are the wonderful. wonderful places. Yeah, these are the wonderful places that the difficult changes we're experiencing right now can take us. It's opportunity. And governments are actually, I mean, there's a movement. So, and uh, back home, this is a pretty sweet story, I think. Um, in fact, it's really an important story. You young people listening, those of you with young people, uh, you know, parents of young people, check this out. Um, a canceled inter- internship turned a, uh, uh, into a big opportunity for, yo- for one young woman uh, that ended up helping her whole state. Uh, just a few months ago, there was an Emory University student. She still is one. And like the rest of us, she was gearing up for the summer when the virus ruined her plans. Now, after receiving countless emails about canceled internships, she said, I just about concluded I would be spending my summer twiddling my thumbs. Now, she lives in Barry, Vermont, which they tell us is a little blue-collar town of about 10,000 people. So she said, oh, I'm going to have a wasted summer. But that's when she got a call from a friend about a new initiative organized by some Yale University students who saw a great need a need that escalates to urgent in the area in the time of coronavirus. A real big need out there. Can you all think about what that might be? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, People were in need of medical care but couldn't leave their homes for fear of spreading or contracting the virus, namely senior citizens. Seniors couldn't get to their doctors, and that's why in March they developed telehealth access for seniors. They wanted to get communications technology, such as a smartphone or tablet computer, to older people who needed it because they needed a way to connect with doctors through telemedicine. Now, the young woman said, it's more than just a device. It's a connectivity tool, and it could save someone's life. This young woman joined this initiative, and she said, it hurt my heart that people don't have the privilege because they can't connect to friends and families and they can't connect to their doctors. And she wanted to get people joined up through this technology. So that's what they're starting to do now. She said that um, they've expanded to over 50 volunteers in 26 states. They've raised an estimated $38,000 and donated 825 of of these tablets to old people in Vermont. And it's for people, older senior citizens, who are self-quarantining. She said it's important for their mental health because it gives them connection with a doctor when they can't otherwise have one. Um, they have wellness apps and so on, things to help old people um, get through the crisis uh, without being so isolated. This was started, by the way, uh, I think by a NASA engineer. But anyway, I, I digress. <clears throat> so they say this gives a... Uh, a way for an elderly person to have a face-to-face conversation, which they are in sore need of. So it offers them uh, free remote phone, uh, tech support. Um, They give them instructions on how to set it up, and they've actually found that this increases uh, the health and well-being of the older people. They are not uh, dying as much. It's keeping them alive longer because they're not stressed out, and they're also getting... Uh, the health care that they need for non-pandemic-related conditions. So, I mean, the things that people can do when they put their minds to it just to help each other. And what impressed me about this story was this young woman, okay, she's 18 years old, and she's focusing on the older generation, how to help um, the wise ones in society, which is so refreshing because so often that is the group that is overlooked. 
So I think that's very encouraging and wonderful. Bless your heart. And we're going to talk just a little bit more before we end tonight's show about another very young person who is very amazing. This is a 10-year-old girl who is now fetching tens of thousands of dollars for her paintings. And she's donating every cent of it. Uh, this, this little girl lives in England. She's 10 years old. They're calling her the Mini Monet. This young woman paints floral landscapes that are absolutely stunning, and they sell for up to about 10,000 pounds apiece. Now, I am sorry that this is just an audio medium and that I cannot show you these photographs. Her name is Daisy Watt, W-A-T-T. So any of you listening to this, I really encourage you to look this up. These paintings are absolutely exquisite. They are beautiful. It's amazing that she's 10 years old, and she's been painting for a long time. I'll tell you the story. It was four years ago when she started painting. She was age six when both of her grandparents were diagnosed with a disease, and this little girl painted a picture to cheer them up. Now, her mother's name is Karen. who's She's also an art teacher, by the way. And she spotted her daughter's talent, and she asked the little girl if she'd like to paint on a canvas uh, so that she could display her art, and auction the art off for charity. Well, people saw this, and bidders from all over the world fought to buy the art, uh, fought to acquire her artwork. And the pictures feature forget-me-nots, flowers, um, for people who have been very sick, and bright flowers for those people who've survived. And uh, the paintings generally vary in color tone with going from dark to light to represent battles with disease. So we move from struggle into victory is what it represents. So anyway, um, each painting, like I said, is selling for near $10,000 or more. And she's earned 50,000 pounds. I said dollars. It's actually pounds. I'm sorry. She earned 50,000 pounds through her artwork, and the child is continuing to paint for charities. Now, the parents... Karen and Charlie say that their daughter, Daisy, is very humble, and she gets embarrassed by the praise, and she doesn't realize her own talent. Her dad said, the thing she is really shy and humble about her work, she cringes at the attention, and she doesn't see what all the fuss is about. And I was thinking, oh, that's so wonderful. You know, the world could use a great deal more humility. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, it's a catchphrase, but and the little children shall lead them. I thought, wow, what a great example for the rest of us um, to be humble and unassuming and willing to just openly give, not think of yourself. That's a lot of money, 50,000 pounds to an English family, um, giving it all away. Uh, it's wonderful. And, and actually, um, I, there's more to the story that when she was six, um, her mother was, as I say, is, a, is an art teacher and she first began to, to paint with her daughter, the child would, didn't need any instruction. Um, the mother had a pot of paints, and the little girl picked up a brush and began to help herself to the paint. And the mother was astounded. I think the first thing she ever painted was a tulip. And her mother said it was perfect. Now, you know, mothers say things like that, but if you see these paintings, uh, I mean, they're beautiful. I would love to have one. So anyway, um, 
these are very young people. Lavender's always talking about these special children coming in, whether they're 18 or 10 or even older. It doesn't matter, but the, the newer generation is really coming forward. All of you beautiful starseed out there are the hope of the planet. And in view of that, I want to leave you with a quote. And it is to be poised against adverse circumstances to meet wretched conditions gracefully is more than simple endurance. It is a declaration of the soul's freedom, an act of aggression, and a positive triumph. Sometimes the best thing we can do is to endure. And it is not a passive action, far to the consequence. It is a statement of the soul's ultimate strength. So here's to our endurance, to our love, and to our long-suffering, to the sight and vision for the future, and dreaming beautiful dreams so that the new world that we all seek will come to pass, as surely it will. And from my heart to each one of you, everybody, much love. Have a beautiful couple of weeks. I'll catch you again the next time. Thank you, Arielle. Oh, thank you so much. Those are just wonderful stories. I, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear good news. I hope you'll check out Daisy Watts' paintings if you get a chance. Yeah, well, Little actually, I did. <laughs> I did while you were talking. Oh, I just went, good. yeah. And it, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, Van Gogh, Monet, that kind of impressionist. Yeah. Gorgeous. Very mature style. I mean, I know style. beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but can't you, I mean, aren't they really unusual? I just think they're fabulous. Yeah, well, we got to take care of those children because Absolutely. they are the hope for the future. Oh, my gosh, and, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and thanks to and the parents for bringing them. Yeah. What about those initiatives by governments to think about the future and being accountable for what we leave to those that come after us? It's about time. I was just going so to well. say that. You must be so yeah. psychic. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, it's just, see, I mean, we can all, there is so much potential ahead. You know, when you just take a wrecking ball to everything that is, we have to rebuild. And now we can rebuild it what we want it to be. And this is a great time to be alive. We all ought to be energized with all of the life force pouring through but through us and you know, not look at what what is being lost, but look at what we're gonna make. And that the sky's the limit. You're so right. So anyway with that I'll say good night. Well, Love you all. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, bye-bye. Anastasia. Bye bye. Wow, that was really uplifting. So um let me get Lavendar's mic open, and and Lisa is here with us. Let me get your mic open. Okay, and Lisa, welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. Thank you so much. That was really inspiring, and it really got me inspired about how my work fits into that as well. Yeah, it's it's just it's a beautiful thing to watch if you focus on the good and don't focus on you know the dark, and it'll take you a long way. So, Lavender, are you uh, ready to go? I'm ready. Okay, take it away. Okay. So, Lisa, welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. We like to have a lot of people that come on our show to um, give us insight to their work, and I've been looking over your work, and I'm really happy that you have taken it upon yourself to step forward for the women and the men on the planet, although I see you really talk about women's energetics but I know that you have a balancing procedure for the men also. So welcome, my dear. Thank you so much. I'm really inspired to be here and to be following those wonderful news stories. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, your, about yourself and how this came to be 
and what what is women's energetics? Yeah, well, I am an energy worker, and I primarily work with the chakras of the various mappings out there. I primarily work with the chakras, and I really work from a psycho-emotional perspective. You know, you can work more from a physical, more psycho-spiritual, emotional. So I really feel I'm helping people clear uh, karmas, samskaras, wounds, a lot of which are from sexual trauma, in order for their light to come forth and in order for them to bring their light into the world, tying into the stories that we just heard to move forward. So often that is blocked by traumatic events. And in the case of women for sexual trauma, I'm doing a lot of work with the chakras around that and also with helping women really tap into the feminine expression of their energy as it relates to cycles like menstruation, pregnancy, postpartum, menopause, a lot of that ancient wisdom that has been lost that we're reclaiming now as part of moving into greater light. So that's really how I define women's energetics. I do also work with men, particularly men, sexual trauma survivors. Uh, But this particular book, Chakra Empowerment for Women, my current book, is focused on practices women can do on their own at home. Yeah. So let me ask you what you think about women that uh, are on their periods and having menstruation um, during like a full moon or a new moon, mm-hmm. do you find in your travels and in your work that during these periods of time the women are more attuned to their spiritual nature and there seems to be more creative powers going through them when, they're, when they have their periods? Do you find that? Well, it's definitely that opportunity is there. I think a lot of us are not trained to view it that way, so we sometimes experience the additional sensitivity at that time as a burden, right? And so part of learning to work with our energy body is learning how to create the proper boundaries so that we can actually attune to that sensitivity as a positive force in our life, right? And if you're empathic, during that time of the month, you're even more empathic. You have access to, you have easier ability to access certain planes and especially to really go deep in terms of problem solving and uh, new insights, things like that. So it is a natural almost retreat time. And if you can't actually carve out that alone time in your life, if you energetically create that space within yourself to go inward, you can still really harness that and see it as a valuable personal time. Yeah. I have a lot of uh, clients that, that talk about that in their, in their work, and so I just mm-hmm. wanted to know what you thought yeah. about it. So let me ask you, um, uh, do you have any insight to what's happening now with the transgender people? are non-gendered. Can you give us a little insight of what you've come to know? Yeah. You know, I, in my experience, people tend to relate to the energy body that corresponds to the gender that they identify with, regardless of biological sex. So I do a lot of work kind of distinguishing the difference in how energy tends to flow between the feminine and masculine energy body. And in, in general, I find people who identify as female feel that the feminine energy body describes them more, regardless of the physical body they were born with, and vice versa. And some individuals really feel they have equal traits of both. So it's very interesting, and I think it's part of their spiritual unfolding. The energy body is really this in-between layer between the physical body and the spirit. So it seems as if in these cases, the way the chakra energies flow correspond more to how they feel at a, at a spirit level than their physical body. 
So do you find a lot of people that you work with have their male and female all in one body and they don't really need anyone to complete them? I don't meet a lot of people like that. I do think to a certain extent that is the spiritual journey. It doesn't mean we don't need others, but it means we're not looking outside of ourselves for that. We actually can be complete within ourselves. Our yin and yang, our masculine and feminine is all complete within. And then when we meet another individual, we're meeting another complete individual. And that's a different kind of relationship. A lot of relationships are really burdened by us trying to meet those needs outside of ourselves as opposed to healing the wounds inside. And for women, this is particularly true and can be really damaging to our personal power. All of our conditioning and the karmic history around seeking our worth outside of ourselves through our partner, you know, a, a male partner. Um, and until that's really cleared, it's difficult to be in a true loving relationship. And then men have their own wounds around it because they haven't always been allowed to own their emotions and some of, and some of that energy as well. And so this is part of the damage, the underlying wounds that are there that feed uh, the prevalence of sexual violence that we have on this planet. Yeah. You know, in a chart, in an astrological chart, there's something called Chiron that comes yeah. up in an astrological mm-hmm. chart, and it, and it talks about the wounded spiritual warrior. Mm-hmm. So as I've been watching this with different clients, I'm seeing that a lot of people now are back to help with uh, other people's trauma from other lifetimes through war or through sexual abuse or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing it activated more and more, I'd say since 2012, is when I really started tracking this and seeing that yeah. it was becoming a very big thing on the planet called the Wounded Spiritual Warrior. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's a huge piece of my work. I actually have not experienced sexual trauma in this lifetime, and yet when I became an energy worker, I was just having client after client after client seeking this kind of healing. So I was really called to it and to learn as much as I could about it. And I have come to view it as some sort of past life vow that I took. And it is part of the global healing, right, that's occurring in terms of rebalancing the divine feminine and masculine, which I think is such a big piece of the shifts that need to occur right now. And it's like I'm working it on the individual level, but it contributes then to the global level and the larger rebalancing that, that's happening. Right. So do you, um, can, can you give us some, some um, examples or stories or people that you've helped? Uh, just give us situations that we can identify with through looking through your eyes or hearing your voice. Yeah. Well, let me first, I'll talk about an example of sexual trauma healing, and then maybe I'll do a menopause example just for two different okay. <laughs> viewpoints. Okay. Yeah, so in terms of sexual trauma, I was just working with a woman, and this was very common, a young woman who really struggled with energetic boundaries, was constantly absorbing other people's energies. She thought she had really worked through having been abused by her uncle when she was young. She had done a lot of therapy, but she still had this energetic pattern around not believing she had a right to boundaries, which is often the case for individuals who were abused as children, right? The messaging was, you don't have a right to boundaries, right? So they're always taking on other people's emotions. So we worked first with really strengthening her root and navel chakra and her ability to emanate out a shield around her, what I call second skin, to start changing that default. Then we worked with her second chakra, reclaiming her feminine power as a positive force, her sexual energy as a positive force, feeling as if she could walk in the world boundaried not emanating her sexual energy all the time unless she was you know, with someone that she wanted to share that with. 
and it really completed kind of the work that she had started through talk therapy because it brought it down to this energetic reprogramming level. So I think that's kind of a very high-level example of the kind of work I do. Um, you know, and there's blocks that occur in all the chakras. If someone's, if someone's trauma occurred within a religious context by a religious teacher, there may be a lot of issues with crown and third eye, not just the first and second chakra. Although I'd say you know, a big percentage of the work that I'm doing has to do with reclaiming boundaries on the first and navel, um, releasing shame that's held in the second chakra in relationship to pleasure, releasing blocks in the throat that have to do with having had to keep something secret for so long and the burden around that. So that's a lot of the sexual trauma work. Wow. Sounds like you've done a lot of, of, uh, of energy work around this to, to, to get the new formulas of what has to happen. So yeah. I'm really happy that you're, you have chosen to do this. Um, so are men and women impacted differently by trauma, in particular with sexual trauma? Do you have men that have that have sexual trauma? Yes, I do. I have worked with men. It is very individual. You know, it kind of depends on the circumstances, the age, I would say, and who it was. But in general, I do find that uh, men are more likely to be triggered into kind of an emotional shutdown rigidity pattern where they've really shut down emotions of all types and they hold themselves very uh, tightly energetically. It's this very small range. And so we're working a lot as we're healing with bringing more fluidity into their energy body. They're very locked into their root chakra, you might say. For women, again, it's very individual, but it's often much more about boundaries, like I just spoke about in the, in the last story, reclaiming a right to boundaries and repatterning that energy field around a right to boundaries and then releasing shame. Uh, yeah, I, and reclaiming the feminine as a positive force because the, since feminine energy is still very denigrated, especially feminine sexual energy and so objectified, that link to that gets very damaged. And that's really a life force energy. It's the same energy that leads to the creation of life, right? So when someone is really blocked from themselves as a source of that, it really kind of shuts down their whole connection to their light and what they have to offer, what they could be creating in the world. Yeah. You know, uh, there is a connection between um, a lot of different aspects of sexual energy. Can you give us a little insight to the, the kundalini crisis that seems to be happening with a lot of uh, metaphysical people right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of different energies that run through the chakras, the prana and the kundalini. Sexual energy is one expression. And I, I think, you know, what I find for some people, it's simply a matter. There's different types of kundalini crisis. Some are being brought on because individuals are really feeling a push to move very quickly, and so they're really pushing the energy through their body, and they don't yet have the ground or the foundation for that, so they need to pace it and ground themselves more, so I do a lot of work with that, with kundalini crisis. Then, kundalini does release blocks, and if you have any trauma that has not been faced, and that might be from this life, it might be from past lives, and as you said, we seem to be going through this, especially around sexual trauma, we're going through this global kind of surfacing of those samskaric blocks, so when those rise to the surface, they can manifest in a lot of different ways, and the kundalini will push them up, um, push them up very intensely, and that can result in kundalini crisis-type symptoms. So you talk a lot about trauma sensitivity. Mm -hmm. What is this, and why is it important? 
This is really about how do those of us in this space working with trauma survivors in energy work in every field, as astrologers, as meditation teachers, as yoga teachers, you know, how do we do this in a way that doesn't become re-triggering? Um, there are a lot, there, were, there was a problem one time, especially like in the shamanic community or with various healing modalities where you kind of go through a process that is cathartic but very intense that it causes re-traumatization, right? So being trauma-sensitive is learning how to help pace and create a process that's very collaborative so someone doesn't feel as if they're being forced to bring something up faster than they're ready for, which in fact does sometimes trigger a kundalini crisis, for example. So it's really about learning energetically to work with someone in a collaborative way that paces the work properly, especially when it comes to releasing trauma. Well, let me ask you, um, a lot of people that listen to our show are very aware of abductions and hybrid mm. children and all kinds of sexual uh, energies that are happening with, with ETs. Do you have any uh, stories about people that come to you that have been abducted and, and sexually traumatized aboard a spaceship? Do you have any of that? I haven't. I haven't worked with I haven't had a client come to me. Now maybe I will. <laughs> I was just going to say, I feel like I've had practically every other situation imaginable. Um, yeah, so that has, just isn't something that I've put out there, but it would be interesting to work with for sure. Well, I know, I know that a lot of people on the, on the planet have this, and yeah. I hear about it a lot, and I don't know of anyone that's really specializing in helping them with this. Yeah. So there's a, great, there's a great need out there for um, psychologists or psychiatrists or people with degrees that can take this forward and then put a metaphysical spin on it. That's really yeah. needed at this time. Yeah, it is. And I have worked with individuals who, for example, are having issues with sexual violations in dreams and things like that. But it hasn't been ET or entities. It's been actual individuals in their life. So it's been, you know, dream violations. So learning how to work with dream boundaries has been, I have done, but, uh, yeah, not in this direction. Can you talk a little bit more about dreams and, and how that works? Yeah, I well, mean, you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, modalities to work with the dreams. But because I work with the chakras, I generally try to help people practice these uh, boundaries for your dreamscape, having to do, again, with the root and the navel, but linked really into the third eye, since that's our main dreaming center, and practicing that before you go to sleep and every time you wake up into the night until it becomes just your default. There is just no one that is going to get into your dreams unless you invite them, right? And, and working your way up to that point. Like everything else, it takes practice with our energy body in general, we don't receive that kind of training as a child, so most of us, our energy just runs all over the place. It's very reactive. Uh, it's also about learning, you know, keeping a dream journal and learning to track which dreams are just psychological processing, they're not actual contact, versus distinguishing those dreams that feel differently, and they, there truly is energetic contact going on. And usually when we're doing a lot of that, I mean, we're just exhausted. We're not getting good sleep quality, so... As I say to people often, the absolute best thing you can learn to do is get a good night's sleep. <laughs> That's the most valuable thing you can learn in life. Uh, and then from there, if you want to learn dream skills and dream travel for other purposes, going to other planes to gather information or seek out teachers, you can do that. But first make sure that you have the control to just get a good night's sleep and replenish your body in light every night. Uh, and once you've got that, then you can do whatever you want. 
So I'm noticing that a lot of people are uh, talking a lot about post-traumatic stress Mm. from different, you know, from either past lives or current things. That seems to be a subject matter that that I deal with every week with people. And some of these um, clients have now taken upon themselves to treat themselves with CBD oil, Mm -hmm. and it seems to be helping a great Mm -hmm. deal. So have you run into the CBD oil with helping some of your trauma survivors? Yes. It certainly takes the edge off the anxiety triggers. And so then if it is combined with some sort of work, whether it's energy work or mindfulness work or something else, to try to then deal with completely healing that trigger, it can be uh, wonderful. I think where I find it challenging is if someone is just medicating, sort of using it to numb the intensity of the trauma triggers they might be experiencing without using that lessening to actually try to clear it completely, right? Because then you're dependent on that for life, right? It's better to help use it to soften what you're experiencing so it's within a range of comfort that you can then work with it to actually clear it and release it because no one has to live with these triggers for the rest of their life. And they don't know that. They think they have to keep them. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and, there, and there can be a lot of reasons people, uh, you know, maybe they just haven't found the right modality or they don't actually believe they can trigger, you know, they haven't had someone support them in that. Um, but it is very possible to totally repattern that. It takes time, but it, it can be done. So how are women impacted energetically by motherhood? Well, it's interesting. We have a line to our child, right? And it's a special line. It's unlike any other line um, because it, it, it mirrors the umbilical cord. And in that first phase postpartum, right, that we call it that fourth trimester, that baby is energetically, we're both sort of in this bubble of energy together where our emotions are entwined, right? And then gradually in a healthy mother-child relationship, that child becomes more and more energetically independent, and it's very important that the mother allows that. It's also really important that she learns how to close that line when she needs to replenish herself so she's not exhausted when her child's being cared for by someone she trusts, right? Some women, they don't do that, and that can really contribute to postpartum fatigue. Part of what happens postpartum is all our energy has gone to the womb space, the second chakra, while we were pregnant, just like all of the nutrients go to our womb space, right? And then afterwards, we have to bring that energy back up into the upper chakras. Sometimes it gets pooled there to the point where uh, a woman can't reclaim some of those upper chakra functions. So the two things postpartum that are really healthy to focus on energetically is bringing that energy up from the second chakra, from the pelvis, reclaiming those upper chakras, and learning how to close down the mother-child line for rest for short periods when your child is cared for by someone else, and then allowing that line to gradually lessen, allowing your child more energetic independence. So by the time they're adult, that mother-child line should basically be dormant. So do you find in, in your work that you find people that have been trafficked through sex, and, and do you find some of them that get addicted to sex because they've been, you know, maybe picked up at the age of 15 and put in, in some kind of sexual situation with a lot of different partners. Have you found any, any trauma survivors that come from that, that place? 
Yeah, I, both, both sex traffickers and individuals um, abused as children by a family member in sex repeatedly. In both cases, you can swing either direction. I'll either have individuals who, like, cannot stand sex at all, right? They cannot conceive of it as being anything, anything positive ever, right? And it's ruined, right? And, and there's a lot of work to reclaim that as a positive force in their life. Or there's individuals, and this does tend to often be women, who become so identified with sex, like that's their only way to relate to their body. It's their only sense of worth whatsoever. So they just keep seeking it over and over and over, even though it's not in healthy, loving relationships, right? So it's, it's a, it is a kind of addiction. It is like a drug. And it is an addiction that has to be approach, approached in that way first before you can deal with the underlying uh, healing. Wow. So it looks like that you have had a lot of, of, of great work come through you to help a lot of, of survivors. I really applaud you for taking this on. This is not a, a subject matter that's probably easy to, to deal with at times, so I applaud you for that, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about yourself. When, when did you first wake up to metaphysics and start on this path? Really, I was about 21, just out of college, and I had been a dancer, but I was not very spiritually aware, and I was starting to have headaches and stomach aches as I was working in technology in New York City. Someone recommended a meditation class. It happened to be a chakra meditation class, and it just changed my life because it just brought to life the world of energy and I realized I had always been experiencing it and hadn't had a way to work with it or describe it. So from that point forward, I became a lifelong meditator. I've meditated for over 30 years, chakra and kundalini-based, and then from there moved into energy healing studies. So do you you still live in New York? No, I don't. Now I'm in L.A., so I went from (laughs) East Coast, (laughs) yes, big East Coast city to big West Coast city, although I'm by the ocean. I'm in in a nice uh, nature part, suburb. Oh, that's good. That's good. So where would you like to go now with our interview? Anything that you want to share with us that you think would be important for our listeners to know about? Well, I think just that the chakras really have layers, and the first, the top layer relates to your physical body. So when we talk about crystals and healing physically, you're talking about that level, or are my chakras open or closed? Then you have this level that's really emotional, and it has to do with your conditioning in this lifetime. And you can work with your chakras really as almost a self-help mechanism, right? Like to gain more confidence, to create new patterns of confidence, of um, you know, speaking authentically. You can open up your intuition in terms of gifts. And then you can work with them on another level that is really clearing samskaras, patterns that have been with you for a long time. And on that level, you're helping to clear wounds in the world, right? Every time a woman reclaims her connection to her creative power, her feminine power, she's helping clear that wound around sexual trauma in the wider world. So just to open up to that mode of working, if you haven't already, um, and to be embodied. I think that's my other thing. I haven't talked about disassociation because I work with such a spiritual audience in general, like someone who's going to go to chakras for healing is spiritual already probably, I find a lot of bypassing and disassociation that sexual trauma survivors will tend to fall into, like not really wanting to get into that first and second chakra work of working with the body 
And I do think it's so important to view the body as made of light as well, and that's the real gift of the chakras, that your body itself is made of light. It's a denser light, and you can relate to your body that way, and then you, it really opens up the doorway to your ability to manifest on this plane of reality. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, a lot of sense. Well, I, uh, I really uh, applaud you for, for taking on this particular uh, avenue of, of healing for women and for men. Um, I don't know of many people that really have stepped out to, to do it in the manner that you're doing it. I think you're one of the first people that I've actually interviewed on our radio show. I know mm-hmm. there's others, but you're the first yeah. one that's really come this way uh, to tell us, you know, energetically how that you're working with the the uh, trauma survivors on the planet. Yeah. So at, at this time, I would like to uh, uh, share uh, my co-host with you, uh, Arielle, and she has the, the switchboard. Would you be willing to maybe... Uh, answer a few questions if people or have comments uh, yeah, from sure. our board. Yeah, Absolutely, I'd be honored. And anytime, Lisa, that you have a special retreat or if you have something that we really need to know about and you just want to come on for five or ten minutes and, and announce it, you know, e- even though we have another guest, that would be perfectly all right, all right with us. And when you do want to come back on the show, say you do a, a book or something that's just really important for women, don't hesitate to let us know because we we want to empower you and your and your work. Thank you very much. And yeah, people can go to Chakra Empowerment for Women and find both links to the book and my current classes coming up. So, I really appreciate that. Okay. So, back to you, Ariel. Okay. So, um <clears throat> I was just going to ask you something else, but tell us how you do the classes. Yeah, well, right now I'm doing them all by Zoom, like everyone, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, although I actually like working that way with sexual trauma survivors. It's it's less intimidating, right? And so it can be very helpful to have that. Yeah, so I have a class that ties to my current book, Chakra Empowerment for Women, really working through it uh, chapter by chapter for someone who wants more support around that. And then I do special breakouts for sexual trauma survivors or if you're working postpartum or you're working with menopause, all different themes related to women's uh, issues and life lessons. So, yeah, so those are all available at the website, ChakraEmpowermentForWomen.com. Okay. And I imagine, I mean, your other website, Enlightened Energetics, you've got links between the two of them. So if they go to one website, they can still find a link for the other website? Exactly. Enlightened Energetics has a lot of articles and some free MP3 meditations. And it's also my client site in terms of signing up for private phone sessions. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So um, before we, we continue here, I just want to tell the listeners that if you have a, a question or a comment for Lisa, if you're already on the switchboard, all you need to do is press 1 so that we know you have a, a question. And if you are listening on the computer, then you'll need to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. Now, um, having said that, I just want you to know that we we don't usually have a lot of live callers because a lot of people listen after the fact in the archives. So I always tell our guests, don't don't take it personally if nobody calls in. Um, I won't because it's yeah. <laughs> but we we always we always offer in case someone did um, want to speak to you right now. Yeah. Well, and so, it's hard with trauma. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. 
Oh, go ahead. Complete your thought. Yeah, and I was just going to say it's hard, especially because we've been talking mostly about sexual trauma work. That can be a hard thing to share, too, openly, you know, to ask a question openly. So I oh, totally yeah, understand that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and sometimes, but sometimes it can be very affirming to um, share your story. So, some women find that and some people don't. Some people prefer to work very privately and quietly around some of these issues. It's very delicate work in a way. So is there some... Um, um, for lack of a better word, a diagnostic um, tool uh, method that you use? Because I was, I was thinking, it's like there might be people who think, okay, I need help with this and this and that. And then, and then they get with you, and you say, well, you, you think that that's the main problem, but there's something deeper? Yep. Uh, I mean, how do you go about that kind of right. diagnosing um, right. what's really the source of the problem. Right. Well, it's two different things. I mean, one is just, you know, as an intuitive healer, when I'm first talking to someone and I'm, I'm just asking them a lot of questions about their life and what's brought them to me, and I try to create a container where things will come out, and I can really feel it. But then I also do have more formal diagnos- diagnostic tools where we will go through each chakra, and I'll have them repeat certain affirmations related to that chakra. And you can sort of feel how much it's true for that person and how much it's not. For example, at the root, I'm grounded and present in my body, right? In the second chakra, I relate to pleasure with joy and not shame, right? You can feel if someone feels that is true or not. It's like energy testing when people do energy medicine testing. So that is mm-hmm. a quick way to – and people even do this with themselves. I'll often have, recommend people do this with themselves. You can just focus on affirmations linked to each chakra and really kind of rate for yourself – how true did that feel for me? Do I actually believe that or not? And it's a good way to see at a high level where the blocks are. Um, but speaking to your point, one of the things that I find most often is people will be like, you know, it's, it's relationships, I can't, I don't feel worthy of love, so I keep attracting abusive relationships. And they'll think, it, oh, it's all heart chakra. I have to work with heart chakra. And very often, no, we need to work with root chakra and feeling safe first. There's a lot of patterns in not feeling safe or shame in the first and second chakra, and then we get to the heart chakra. So there's often things like that that are going on. Yeah, and I've, um, I'm not nearly as knowledgeable as you are with the um, intricacies of, of chakra work, yeah. but it seems to me that I heard, um, gosh, a long time ago, that there was a direct link between the throat chakra and the root chakra. Mm-hmm. Um, is that true? Yeah, I would yeah, say I would... so for sure, and the root and the third eye. In order to speak authentically, you know, if we look at it from a psychological or emotional perspective, in order to speak authentically, you need to feel safe, right? Otherwise, mm-hmm. your speech is in order to feel safe, which is what happens with a lot of abuse survivors. What do I have to say in this situation for people to like me? for me to be left alone, for me to not attract attention, for me to feel safe. People can develop entire personalities around that if they grew up in an abusive home, right? They don't even know how to speak what they actually feel. All of their speech is, how do I just please everyone in this room right now, right? So I'm safe. So that's a lot what happens with the throat chakra in order for someone to get to a place where they even know what their truth is and speak it. We first have to work with the root chakra and those feelings of safety that never developed and reclaim those. Very interesting. 
Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I mean, society teaches that. Um, I mean, it's changing now, but you know, several decades ago, there were just subjects that you just don't talk about, and you hold right. it in, and, and you keep it secret, and yep. and you you know, never mention it because of some kind of fear that you know people are going to reject you, they're not going to like you. So, um, and that, I don't know if that's a generational thing, is it? Mm-hmm. Well, it, I think know. it is getting better now. There's less shame associated with it, but it definitely is generational. I mean, I worked with a 72-year-old woman uh, last year who had never told anyone about her sexual abuse that she experienced by an uncle when she was young, when she was a child. She'd gone through her whole life and never told anyone. And it was really the Me Too movement that helped free her up and she thought she needed to heal this to have a peaceful death um, was really how she viewed it. Uh, So it is interesting, although I'm still amazed how many people in this day and age will tell someone and be told not to tell anyone else, right? Like, oh, okay, I'm glad you told me, but let's keep it secret. Don't tell anyone else, that kind of thing. And that has a price to it, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it does. Um, are there um, exercises besides the you know, meditation and, and affirmations um, exercises, you know, like in um, um, just going out and talking to people to, um, you know, choose your words in a special way to yeah. to help, um, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to draw some parallels here when, you know, like when people are trying to manifest something. Yep. You can you can never ever say the word uh, like like lack or I can't or yeah. this or that because you 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 stop the manifestation. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that translates as well for people that um, are having in trouble in that way of of just um, coming yeah. out with it. Yeah, and it's important to bla- break through that barricade, even though what you're sharing is painful. Right, So it might seem as if it's bringing negativity into the world. No, it's making sure that negativity is not held in your body to cause disease, which is what can happen. Right, So it needs to be out in a loving container. Uh, and that's part of what my job is as a healer, right, and all of us that are trying to do this kind of work, is how do you create safe environments for people to share what they need to share to heal? And how do you help someone release it from their body through speech? And then, you know, it's interesting you brought up manifesting in speech because, yeah, when you're working with the chakras, that's what I think is so powerful is when you're doing affirmations linked to the chakras, you're trying to connect at a vibrational level so it's not just empty speech because it is possible to do affirmations and they're just empty words. You have no true intention or vibration behind them. So the chakras can help you with manifesting because they help you actually bring that vibration into it of what you're saying. So, I mean, regardless of what someone's trying to manifest, you know, a loving relationship, um, a, a, a meaningful, purposeful um, vocation, um, better connection with the children, anything mm-hmm. that someone is trying to manifest, it has to start with your own energy, correct? That's right. And you have to feel it as real in the moment that you're doing that affirmation. As much as you can. Maybe at first you can only feel it as 50% real, right? And as you repeat it, you're practicing bringing that into reality. You're practicing it being magnifying that vibration. So if you know the chakra combination that might 
tie to that vibration in an open expression, that can really help you. That can really help you to bring that forth in a in that's a, in a, a way point. that's alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I mean, you could say a, a hundred times, "I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire." Right. And and if and then in the next breath, if you're saying, "Oh, you know, <laughs> can't buy yeah. that this week," you just yeah. you just canceled it all out. And so you really have to. Um, you have to be the energy. You have to feel it. You have to um, make it real. Yeah. And sometimes, and, I, I mean, you have to you have to be a, such a, a good actress <laughs> that you convince your own self that oh, wait a minute, I am blessed. Look at yeah. you know, look at all these things that I have, and and try to you know, you can pull positive things to you. Um, just as you can pull negative things to you, and it's about your your energy, your focus, your your mental um, frequency, your your emotion. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you get angry or you, you you lash out at someone else, that just kind of makes you slide <laughs> slide back down the sliding board, and you got to crawl all the way back up again. That's right. And if yeah. some part of you, you have to be aware of the different layers. Like you can be really saying something and feeling on one level like it's true, but if there's some part of your psyche that doesn't feel you deserve it, right, that's going to cancel it out as well. So that's where you have to work with those wounds. That's where trauma healing can be so important because it can leave these kind of long-lasting imprints of unworthiness or shame or things like that that undermine your other abilities to manifest in other areas of your life. So it's important to really get in there and... and, um, Release, face and release and heal those blocks to your own light. Yeah, and there's there's just a whole myriad of of wonderful light energy that can come that can come in. Um, you know, once you unlock those doors. Yeah, so and that's another thing I actually work with is manifesting with the chakras and like what from vision, which is our upper chakras, all the way down to birth, which is the lower chakras. What does each vibration represent in the process of making something in our life, right? Uh, and you can kind of work with where you're blocked, you know? Do you have problems speaking your idea and what you want? Do you have problems attracting people? That's heart chakra. Speaking it is throat chakra. Do you have pro- problems with the actual execution of steps? That's navel. You know, it's, there's all these different layers. Do you have problems with vision uh, about it? Um, you know, there's all these different Things don't just drop from the sky, right? Even when we're trying to manifest, we're still working towards it. So it's partially energetic, and it's partially working through all of the steps. Right, right. You have, I mean, you have to um, clear the way and leave yeah. the door open. Yeah, because exactly. if you just leave the door open, nothing can fit in if it's already clogged up. Um, and if you you get rid of the clog, if you don't open the door, you're still stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, would you find that that people um, have are there people that have had that kind of trauma and have so completely blocked it out that they don't even remember it, but it's still affecting them in a big way? Yes, and we don't always, you know, you can't always reclaim the memory, and you don't need to always reclaim the memory. If you have an imprint, say, of sexual trauma, like I'll have people come to me and say, oh, I feel like I have all the, you know, signs that I was sexually abused, but I have no memory of it. Maybe it was a past life. 
Maybe it's something that happened before you could remember. We may never know, but we can deal with the imprint now regardless of where it came from, and it can still be healed and transformed. I think the other piece, you know, besides past life, is ancestral and intergenerational trauma. Like we've really discovered how we can carry forward trauma from our ancestors. And so then when you're clearing, it's like you're breaking the cycle but you may not always know all the stories of what happened. You just know that somehow you seem to be carrying forward this imprint and you don't really know where it came from. And I have worked especially with daughters who later discovered after asking their mothers that, oh, yeah, their mother had been sexually abused and never shared it with their daughter in an effort to protect her from something, you know, from that kind of dark truth. But the daughter somehow felt as if she'd been traumatized, like she took on the imprint of it from the mother unconsciously. So this is, you know, part of ancestral healing as well, facing this stuff and, and bringing light to it and releasing it. Wow. <clears throat> I mean, as soon as you said that, a bunch of things just started kind of clicking in my brain. It's like, oh, yeah. okay, I'm thinking of situations and people where you work with the person and then they they tell you later, it's like, oh, after we did that clearing, I went home and, and my grandmother was finally happy. Right, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you and we already know like even on the abuser side, you know, people who do abuse others, you know, 80% of them were abused themselves, right? So we have that whole cycle as well. Like how do we break all of the, these cycles? There has to be healing. When you heal, you stop the cycle, right? You stop the cycle for your children, <laughs> you know, and for those in your mm-hmm. life. When we heal, we oh. break the cycle, which is a beautiful thing. You are you are so well well versed and so articulate. It's just really a pleasure. Uh, see, I'm looking through the switchboard here. Oh, thank um, you. Um, we have a, we do not have a caller yet. I just wanted to make sure because sometimes sometimes I have to scroll down to see. Sure, sure. Um, so I <laughs> just wanted to make sure. But um, we're only going to be on for you know a few more minutes, people. So if you do have a question um, or a comment, please feel free to call in. Um, so let me ask you about um, your own family. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've got at least one child. Do you have more I have than three, one? actually, yes. I have three teenagers, oh. actually. <laughs> and, yeah, and I have a – go ahead. Right, so do, do, they, um, do they understand what mom does and do they benefit from this? They do understand what mom does, and I think they were more into it when I, when they were younger. So I know that imprint will surface later. Now they're teenagers, so they have to kind of, um, well, not necessarily push it away, but, you know, they're finding their own way right now. So copying what I do is not front and center. But I think they are very energetically aware, and that will surface at the right time. But they have to go through their process, right, of individuating from me, <laughs> for well, sure. yeah. Yeah, all teenagers yeah. want to be cool. Exactly. <laughs> That's the primary thing. Got to be cool. Exactly. Got to dress yeah. cool. You got to talk cool. Um, and that's not your mom. <laughs> and and yeah. yeah, and that yeah, it's it's not your mom. But you know it. I mean, I kind of went through the a, a, a similar thing where you know I knew more than my parents, and then after exactly. I got to a certain age, then I realized it's like, oh, they were right. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That happens to all of us. So I'm just holding out for that day and holding holding them in love at the moment as much as possible. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, they're good um, kids. My my brother told me one time, and he, he's just—I mean, he's a great guy, but um, 
and he's spiritually open. Uh, but he just said, look, as long as your kids know that you love them, that's the most important thing. And then they can always come home. They can always call. They can always, you know, reach out for you. And as long as they know that you love them, I mean, in his philosophy, that's just the bottom line to succeed yeah. as a parent. Yeah. And I think and that, he's done you know, a really good so job. interesting to me because that is the root chakra. Like that is how we develop that root chakra. If how we grow up as children, we feel safe and loved. It doesn't mean our parents are perfect or never lose it sometimes. But if our basic feeling is one of a safe foundation, provides that foundation for our whole psyche and our whole energy system, right, uh, to be lit up as we grow older. So would you say for, um, especially for mothers that have had some kind of um, abuse, um, either sexual or otherwise, and and they just don't talk about it, um, do you think that it would be beneficial for their children for them to clear that out? Even, you Absolutely. Know, it, it goes mm-hmm. to the ancestors, but does it also go to your descendants? If you clear it that, does it does. clear it from their blood? It absolutely does, and it's very important that mothers do that work. And what I find is a lot of mothers find themselves, if they haven't healed that trauma, it will sometimes surface when they have a child or when that child is at the same age they were at when they were abused. They may start experiencing memories or traumas, and then it's time to heal it, right? Like some part of their psyche is just saying you have to heal this, and that benefits, that benefits their children for sure because otherwise that imprint can be carried forward. And have you ever found that um, when you when you work with someone and it's a really you know a successful partnership where you do the teaching and they mm-hmm. and they are good you know they follow they listen they understand um, and they get to the point where you say okay that has been transmuted do you find that um, some of those people then um, um, like latent talents surface. Absolutely. That is absolutely what I see all the time because that's what the chakras are. They are like also this, you know, technology for spiritual gifts, right? So when you clear blocks and more light is coming through you, through them, your natural gifts were unlocked. So whether it's creativity or intuitive abilities or anything else, it will be highlighted and magnified. And often people won't even realize they were blocked in that area. Like they didn't come seeking to get that particular area unblocked, but it just occurs. And what's interesting is it also happens with life transits, like pregnancy and menopause can unlock gifts like that if a woman really owns it as a transit of power. Wow. I'm getting chills on that one. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it just, I thought, well, if someone has cleared out all of the um, the balls and chains that have been slowing them mm-hmm. down and keeping them more earthbound, um, and you clear that all out, then there could be all kinds of goodies and presents right. and gifts and blessings that are then able to surface, but they were being, you know, locked in that uh, a container of of, of yeah. trauma. Yeah, so, and then yeah, their gifts just, are denied. Their gifts are denied the world, right, is really one way to look at it. So this is why all of us as a society paying, you know, paying attention to the wounds of the individual and collectively really attending to those, it benefits all of us. That's what we're learning now, I hope. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
so um, we we actually uh, we have a caller in the screening room, and um, we always make sure that their question would be on point and uh, okay. um, so and that they. <laughs> That they they may or may not come on. I know the last person didn't. So, but we'll just see, and we can we can chat a few more minutes uh, while that process is completing. Sure. So, um, what is the youngest person you've ever worked with? Well, I don't work with kids per se. I have worked with a few teenagers whose parents gave permission. So, really, sixteen is the youngest that I have worked with, um, just from the perspective of liability as an energy worker and things like that. I have taught yeah. meditation to younger children, but in terms of the actual energy work, um, I well, I actually like to work with adults too because my work is very participatory, meaning we're going into someone's energy body together and kind of doing that work. Sometimes it's very emotionally based, what someone feels about a different situation. So it requires a certain level of maturity for that kind of work. Mm-hmm. And all the other, on the other end of the spectrum, um, age advanced age does not um, uh, prevent you from shedding this. Definitely right? not. I mean, there's, you there's, know, that was the great age story women. about this woman. Yeah, this woman that was 72 mm-hmm. last year that I worked with. And ideally, as we get closer, you know, older in age, our connection to our energy body and our chakras becomes even more pronounced. Like we're gradually less identified with our physical body and more radiant. We have more radiant light moving through us. Now most of us aren't really taught to age that way, but that's the ideal is that we are getting more and more connected to our energy body, to the radiant light coming through us. So as we get older, we're even more adept at working at that level. Um, So it's not a decline. The physical body may decline, but the energy body never does. It gets more and more powerful, and there's that potential then that at death we're really just shedding the physical, right? We're liberated from the physical mm-hmm. at that point, and we've become so connected to our spirit through our energy body that it's very uh, peaceful, very peaceful transit. That's what we're all hoping for. Right, right. That's fascinating. Well, our caller is ready to come on the air, and Great. you're going to be talking to... Patricia with a question about how to start the clearing process. So let me get your mic open, mm-hmm. sweetie. Okay, Patricia, you are on the air with Lisa. Go ahead with your question. Yes, hi. Hi. Um, hi. I would like to find out. I'm uh, late the first time at age 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to give you abbreviated, I shut down. Uh, I got raped a couple more times, and I shut down for many years. Um, and I'm just uh, I'm in my 60s now. Hmm. Uh, start dealing with that because obviously I didn't realize it all those years. I was angry and and with other issues, and now I uh, had a chronic health problem that happened three years ago. Uh so now I'm, you know, on a different uh, path and uh, just really creating a new life. I need to know what really effective, uh, immediate um, to cleansing the chocolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I, what else can I do? I'm already doing some forms of energy work. Um, what is this? Um, the um, I'm chanting. 
mantras and doing sound healing using my vocals or if I listen to some sound healing to YouTube. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, it's getting hard to hear you, Patricia. So could you keep the keep the mouthpiece uh, as yes, close to your mouth as you can, so we can hear what you say? So go ahead, Lisa. Yeah. Well, I would say my first. My first chakra that I would want someone in your situation, and thank you for sharing, by the way, uh, to work with would be the second chakra and specifically releasing shame. And the way that I would work with it is visualizing in your pelvis a beautiful radiant flower, like a lotus if you know what it looks like, but it could be a rose or just a beautiful flower that is made of light deep in your pelvis daily and imagine that it is then lighting up all of the other chakras. I usually, when I guide someone through this, and there are guided versions of this on my websites, uh, guide someone through this, there's certain affirmations that I add to it that you could personalize, meaning uh, you can say things like, uh, my body is self-healing, I bring forward my body's own self-healing capacity, I am fluid and adaptable because that that second chakra is linked to the element water. I embrace sensuality and pleasure in my body. We're trying to bring forth all of those energies of the second chakra while you're visualizing this flower and it is emanating light throughout your body. And this brings forward a very delicate, refined aspect of the second chakra that can help release any of the dark matter that is still held in your energy body related to the sexual assaults. So in a form like this where I just have, you know, one thing I can give you, that is the one thing I would want to give you. You know, working long term, there's a lot of other chakra work that I like to do, but since you're already doing a lot of other work, that is the one thing I would do daily. You want that second chakra linked to beauty, radiant, blossoming, this flower, and you want to affirm your self-healing capacity, which does partially flow from that second chakra. Okay, so you're, okay, thank you for that. But should I, so doing that, that will automatically cleanse all the anger and hurt and frustration yeah, it's, it, will, it is a starting point, and if you do this daily for, I would say, about six weeks, you will certainly feel a shift occur. Now, sometimes with the anger, it's helpful, but I don't know if you want to do this with someone, to feel where is that anger still held in my body, and if you can feel it, then imagine the light from this flower is actually going to that part of your body and dissolving the, that dark anger in that part of your body. Um, so you can try to do that yourself if you want. I mean, often that's something a healer would help you do. But, you know, if you already have other healers you're working with, you can do that yourself and help really try to feel, where am I lodging that anger in my body? Where am I lodging that resentment or bitterness in my body? And allow this flower in your pelvis to really radiate up and dissolve it. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, do you have any online events that you're doing, like a event summit? Yes, I do. If you go to my website, chakraempowermentforwomen.com, you will uh-huh. find uh, go to events, and you'll find a list of workshops coming up. I very recently did one on sexual trauma, and I could, I'm still selling that recording. 
So you could also contact me through the contact page there if you just want that seminar. I do that one every few months, and I happen to just do that one. I have upcoming ones on menopause, one on manifesting, and then a longer one that is linked to my book. Okay. All right. Um, Okay. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I wish you much healing. Good luck. Thank you. Okay, Patricia, thanks for calling in. Bye-bye. So um, I do want to remind everyone that you have um, a book called Chakra Empowerment for Women, and that is available on both of your websites. Would, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah well, you can, you can purchase it through Amazon and, and other because it was published by Llewellyn. It's it's also available at bookstores, so you can also go to indiebound.org and find it at a individ, independent bookstore if you prefer to shop that way. Okay, and that would be um, a book where people you kind of take them from step one through a process. Yeah, there's 12 different tools in the book. The first seven are one per each of the seven main chakras. And then the last five tools are multi-chakra. They combine chakra for boundaries, for healing, for manifesting, and for lines, working with energy lines and things like that. So it definitely is meant to be a book that someone can do on their own if they wish, although then I run this course, which is starting, the next round is starting in September, where I'm supporting a group in a forum working with the, the book one chapter at a time. But it's designed for someone to do on their own, and the guided workshop uh, versions of the meditations in the book or the activations in the book are on the book website as well. Okay. Well, great. Well, this has just been wonderful meeting you talking to you and you are really really a good guest you're articulate you. you speak well and you really know what you're talking about so from our perspective um we really have enjoyed having you with us this evening and uh once again the websites for Lisa are enlightenedenergetics.com and mm-hmm. chakraempowermentforwomen.com and she's got a lot of resources that will help you. So uh, please do take advantage of that. And um, as Lavendar said, you know, if you if you have another book come out or some special event that you want to just come on and say, hey, everybody just want to tell you what's going on, you're more than welcome to come. And, and, um, and of course, if you have another book coming out, you could do a whole show. But anytime you want to stop by and make an announcement, you're more than welcome to do that. Thank you. I would love it. I've really enjoyed being here, and I appreciate you guys really working to bring more light out into the world and helping some of us to gain exposure as we do that, too. Well, like they say, you know, we are in this together, and it's we time are. For pe- it is time for people to support and empower each other yeah. instead of, you know, that cutthroat, you know, every person for themselves because yeah. we are – a collective of light. Yeah. And that's what the world needs the most right now. So everybody let it shine on and um, pick up Lisa's book, check out her websites, and um, if you feel like you might be stuck with something, this is a really, a really strong way for you to take a positive step. 
So with that, um, I want to thank you again for being with us, Lisa Erickson, and we will be back uh, two weeks from tonight. So until then, everyone, take a few moments every day and count your blessings, live in gratitude, and see what you can bring in a positive way to the people around you. Until next time, good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 